welcome back to my town to another episode here in season two. I am so excited today to have Lindsay Krinks with me. Uh, Lindsay, we've known each other from Lipscomb, and I thought I knew you really well, actually, when I was in your class one summer, and we did uh, we did some walking the streets in Nashville, and we went we went behind where the Freedom Riders had uh, gone through town, and we looked at the sit-ins downtown and the arcade and all, all kinds of things that I, I spent a lot of time with with you and your husband, Andrew, on. And uh, then, I, then I picked up a copy of Praying With Our Feet, Lindsay's new book, and I've, I learned a lot more about you <laughs> that I guess we didn't have time in class to actually know. Uh, I knew a lot of the big stories, but I didn't know the details, so that was exciting. But uh, so happy to have you here on my town, not only because it's your book and it was your birthday just a couple of days ago, but uh, just to hear what what caused you to want to write this. Some of it's memoir, some of it's personal story of uh, physical injuries, emotional injuries, and then your journey to where you are today with Open Table Nashville and just all the things you're in. So just wherever you want to go, just jump in and tell us. Yeah, it's so good to be with you. I um, I remember that class well and, and absolutely loved that class. But yeah, there's only so much you can fit in. So it turns out I needed to write a book to <laughs> tell some more stories because, um, you know, I've I've been working on the streets of Nashville for the last 14 years. And um, and it has been some of the most humbling work, some of the most energizing work. It has hollowed me out as well. Um, and I, um, I came to the work of homeless outreach and, and street chaplaincy, which we can talk more about um, as a person of faith. I, you know, I read, I reread the prophets in college and I started reading the gospel in a way that I thought if I, if I, if we actually took this seriously, it would be pretty, it would, it would ask a lot of us. Right. And that took me to where I think Jesus would be going and he, the here and now today. Um, if, you know, if, I started thinking if Jesus dropped into Nashville, into Hendersonville, into Tennessee today, where would we find him? I don't think we'd find him at the nice church buildings or, um, or in the halls of power. I think we'd find him on the streets. I think we'd find him in our prisons, in our soup kitchen lines, um, in our, you know, around the campfires at our homeless encampments, talking with folks, um, tending wounds. Um, eating with folks, breaking bread with folks that most of us have shunned. And so um, I set off to go to those places and, and meet those folks and break bread with those folks and, and find God in the margins. And, and the book is really about that. It's about, um, it's my story about trying to find God in the most unlikely places and being completely, again, hollowed out and transformed in the process. Yeah. I, I mean, you went straight to one of my quotes from your book I have highlighted, which is on page 27, where you say, what would happen if I, or if we had the courage to live as if our deepest convictions were really true? And I just heard you say that when you said, you know, what would it look like if we were, man, it's, it's hard to say this, but if, if we, if we actually took the co-working invitation that we have from God and said, are we really doing our part of the co-working side? Like we're showing up on Sundays, most of us, you know, for some Bible study and some fellowship and all of the things that are, that are the fun parts of being Christian. Right. Um, 
And then ultimately, I think many people see that 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 institution or that uh, that organization then does all the things scripture talks about because they come there and support it, hand it money, and then it goes and does things. And maybe it does do the soup kitchen lines like you were talking about. And maybe it does house the unhoused nights with room at the end and some of the other things that, that we do. Um, but <laughs> what would happen if we were so convicted that we actually gave it a shot at doing what scripture offers us, invites us to actually do? And how might the spirit show up in ways that would just blow us away? Yeah. I mean, I think you said it so well. I remember, I remember when I realized um, through a class at Lipscomb, actually, that, you know, the kingdom of God or the, what some people call the kingdom of God, which is a term that I really like, and I'll be using, um, what would happen if we thought of the kingdom of God as not something that's just in the future when we die in the afterlife, right? What if we understood that it was also um, present in the here and now and that it was our work to bring it, um, to have it come now, like it will come in full um, in the future. And that means getting our hands dirty, right? That means um, that means giving up some of our comforts. That means opening our hands a little wider. That means not just doing the mercy work and the compassion work and the charity work, but doing the justice work. Um, that Amos and Jeremiah and Isaiah talk about and other prophets talk about. Um, and, you know, I think it's really easy to not read the prophets for, you know, I didn't read, <laughs> I didn't read the prophets very much growing up in a church of Christ. I grew up in a small, um, small town in South Carolina in the foothills, and we had no need for the prophets. We all had bread on the table. We didn't need justice to roll down like a never flowing stream. Right. Um, so, but if, when we're, when we're in closer proximity to the poor and the marginalized and in relationship with people, um, it, it asks something of us. It, it calls us to move toward a world that's more equitable and just, um, where everyone has their bellies full, um, where everyone has a place to call home. Um, and where everyone has the, the ability to not just survive, but to thrive. I think, you know, God is wanting us to see God's image in all of humanity, and if we truly did, we'd work for better conditions for them in the here and now. And, and we're to bring about that kingdom now. Yeah, I love that term. I remember that from your book, too. Kingdom to, to kingdom, uh, you know, family. It's not mine. Well, <laughs> it's definitely, but, but you yes. You me to it. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, wasn't it Walter Brueggemann who said that none of us have an original idea? We just forgot where we read it. So that's yes. a, I, mean, I, I, give yes. you, I give you grace on that. I, <laughs> Thanks. All of, us, all of us do the same thing. Um, but you made me think of something when you were talking about, uh, the kingdom and then becoming the kingdom and going around and living it now and not just waiting till we die. And you gave me complete chills while you said that, because that's what the gospels model for us. Jesus, everywhere Jesus goes, he is a little bubble of what will be coming Mm. and he keeps touching people and healing people and, talking to them in gracious ways. You know, it's amazing to me that it, it maybe, maybe one of the reasons that we didn't want to read the prophets when we were younger or the, or the tradition we've been a part of all of our lives, didn't want to read it is because it's so binary. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. they just say, Hey, you know, 
this is what God says and you're not doing it and you should be doing it. And why are you not doing it? And you know, he's upset with you for not doing it. Jesus did that of course, but he didn't do it in the same way. Mm -hmm. He he's more like, he's more like Yahweh in Exodus when he saves the Israelites Mm -hmm. and takes them out of Egyptian captivity to the wilderness to introduce himself to them so that they can know who he is. And Jesus did the same thing. He, 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 gave sight to the blind. He, he made the lame walk. He, he cured the leprous. I mean, he, everywhere he went, he was saying, here's what it'll be like when I'm everywhere, you know, when the kingdom comes in its fullness. And so what, what are the roadblocks? I mean, I know somebody out there right now is going, yeah, but we're not Jesus. We can't, we can't do those things. We can't heal people that way. We can't, but by the power of the spirit, can't we get pretty close? I mean, don't you have some experiences with probably how we can? And unfortunately, you probably have a lot of experience with the with the resistance that you hit on why we cannot. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think part of the resistance is in our subconscious, not even realizing that our faith calls us into action in public in the public sphere. Um, you know, I was taught growing up that faith was a very private thing. It was about my personal morality and personal salvation. And um, reading the prophets and even reading the gospels really in depth, you know, I I went on to Vanderbilt Divinity School. I have my master's of theological studies. I am a theologian. I teach students every week. Um, And, you know, realizing that you know, the gospel wasn't written, the Bible wasn't written in a vacuum um, where it was completely devoid of social, economic, and political factors. And we can't read it in a vacuum either. Um, it, our faith calls us to act. James is very clear about this. The book of James is super fiery. If anybody hasn't read it lately, read it, you will be offended. Um, there's this really great story of, um, of somebody reading the, from an excerpt from the book of James in a public setting and saying it was this um, socialist writer and everybody was up in arms ready to kill her because they thought the book was so fire and he was like, actually, it's the Bible. So anyway, that to say that, you know, our faith calls us into these realms in the here and now, into the public, public sphere. And so some of our roadblock is in thinking that our faith and the, the gospel is just about us. Um, and, or just about charity, just about service. And when we think about service in that frame, we're only thinking about it in the character development frame for ourselves. You know, it'll be good for us. So it'll be good for our children. Um, but what if we move from models of charity to justice from models of just serving, which is the best place to start because you're getting the proximity, you're starting to build relationships, you're getting to know names and stories. But if we move from that service to also models of solidarity, where we are sharing struggles with people, where we're investing our time, our resources in a little bit more radical ways, um, and understanding that maybe even our liberation is bound up with the liberation of the poor and oppressed, which I think is a pretty radical claim that I find in the gospel, which we could talk more about. If we really believe those things um, in our minds, I think our actions could follow. Um, But I certainly feel like people also sometimes don't know where to start. And I think that's a real struggle for folks that are a little bit disconnected too. Um, So doing what you're doing, uh, volunteering where you are, you know, I I helped co-found Open Table Nashville over 10 years ago in Nashville. It's 
we're an interfaith homeless outreach organization and um, we get our hands dirty here in Nashville and <laughs> we have a lot of resources. Um, but wherever people are, um, you know, you don't have to move from service to solidarity tomorrow or charity to justice tomorrow. Um, but we can take that next step and then take the next step and keep walking. Um, because I really believe in that walking we're transformed. Um, and that's when we're a part of that kingdom work. Yeah. Um, I heard something in there, you know, you took us to James and that's where, that's where we, that's where we good Christian people always go when we get to the faith versus works argument, right? We say, well, now, wait a minute. James said that faith without works is dead. So, you know, show me your faith. I'll show you good works. Somebody with works has to have faith. You know, we, we know that now and we say, okay, so it's not about us not doing anything, but what's the motivation for doing stuff? There's, there's where I have found in my, in my Christian formation, the biggest change in me is I remember distinctly growing up with something, a narrative, something along the lines of, well, we'll help these people and we'll help them X number of times. And then if they don't start coming to our building or participating in what we do is what we call church, then, you know, we've, we've done all we can for them. We've given them the opportunity. They're not moving. So we'll move on to somebody else. But that seems to be works with goals in mind. And as I've grown older and I've studied much, much um, more deeply, I've come to the conclusion that all God really asks me to do is to model for him my belief in him and my allegiance to him and let him be the one who saves people and him be the one that changes and convicts hearts. And so do I have to force somebody to do something for me to model what my relationship with God looks like to them and invite them to, to that relationship. And I think the exit, the answer is actually no. And your book seems to do very well at that. You, I don't, I don't see your chapters end with a, and we converted this many people and baptized this many. So therefore we can put a seal on this, that this was the right thing to do. Instead, your kingdom is honoring image bearers of God the ones who have made mistakes, the ones who've had a bad hand dealt to them, they've gone bankrupt, they've lost their house, or they've, they've gotten hooked on drugs, or they have a, they have a mental problem, something, something is there, right? That's the catalyst for what we would say went wrong. But we don't, we don't come in, or you don't come in with Open Table Nashville and say, well, help if. You just treat them like we treat people who come into our church buildings on Sunday, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about love. It's about, it's about finding a way to tap into that deep love of love that, that only the spirit I think can, can give us that I think was motivating Jesus in the ways that he interacted. Um, we don't see Jesus judging the folks on the bottom. We see Jesus calling out the folks on the top. Um, and, you know, a couple of things I want to say, if we were truly in touch with our own vulnerability, um, if we truly were humble enough to realize how many mistakes we've made that could have cost us, but that didn't, that we got grace or we had the resources to figure it out without it becoming public or without it being worse, or we got to send our family member to a good rehab because we had that insurance, you know, or we had that money. If we truly could be in touch with our own vulnerability, um, and our own need for care, for salvation, for, um, for compassion, um, 
you know, we lost our home this past year and folks like you and others were there for us. Um, it, things, bad things can happen to everybody. And I will also say, you know, most of us break the law every week. If we're driving, we are probably going over the speed limit and <laughs> we're not like folks make mistakes and do things like we all do, but it just costs people more. So again, if we can be, instead of having that lens of judgment, if we can have that lens of compassion and curiosity um, and kind of let go of the need for results, but just really embrace the person like Jesus did, I think, um, I think we'll find Christ in that encounter a lot more often. And I think other people will too, because imposing our own ideology on folks can be a form of violence if they've had some bad experiences in their life. Um, so also want to note that it's not just James in the Bible, right? Who says these kind of things. It's like, you know, I think about Matthew 25, um, whatever you do for folks you do for me. Um, I, you know, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite folks of the kind of Christian tradition is Dorothy Day. And I write about her in the book. Um, she founded the Catholic worker movement. Um, that was really, really has a lot to teach us. I think all of us Christians. Um, but she said, you know, the gospel takes away our ability to judge between the deserving and undeserving poor. We don't get to judge people. Jesus said, you visit somebody in prison, whether they're supposed to be there or they're not. Um, you visit somebody, you visit me, you feed someone, whether or not they, you know, made a mistake before you fed them or not, you feed me. So again, I think we like, we like control. We like power. And if we can get in touch with that vulnerability, um, in ourselves, which is another reason I wrote the book for my own vulnerability. Um, I think, I think we'll do well to remember that we, we need relationship and we need God too. Yeah. I'm, I'm tracking right with you. Uh, I was thinking there, as you went through Matthew 25, that, that, that's such an easier burden to take on, right? If we, really would believe that that vengeance and judgment is not ours and we are just to continue to do what we're asked to do which for some people will reap coals you know burning coals on their head and for other people they will say why and i think right there the why is the way to as a kid i think we had it backwards we wanted to go do things with almost a track in our hand or knock on the doors or whatever and say be like us and then we'll help you because we love all the people who are like us. But what if we love them and then they were like, man, those people are different. I'm interested in finding out more about why. And they really maybe didn't tell me on the first visit because that would have been weird and awkward if it was like, you know, some sort of mixed message. So I heard two things while you were talking. One is, uh, but by the grace of God, there go I, you know, so there's the, there's the difference of separation when you were talking about who has insurance and who has the ability, maybe hiring good lawyers, whatever it is that, mm-hmm. that we still do wrongs, but we have the means to, to have them corrected somehow. Um, and then the other thing I heard is, and this is in your book too, in later chapters, I want to say somewhere around like in the seventies, page seventies, uh, we're the church, but. Can you say more about that? So, um, so there's this wild time and I'll just set up the, um, I'll set up the situation real quick for your listeners and watchers. So many of y'all will remember the Nashville 2010 flood. 
um, here in Nashville, I was working on the streets at the time and one of the largest encampments, it was basically a small city on the river with over a hundred residents. Um, it was right on the Cumberland near downtown and tent city flooded completely. And we evacuated all the folks stayed at the Red Cross shelter at Lipscomb. When that shelter closed, the city washed their hands of people. And they said, well, the land's condemned. So if they go back to their camp, they're going to get arrested. And I worked with a couple ministers and we made a promise to the folks. We said, if we're not going to abandon you, you know, we're going to stay with you no matter what that means. Well, private landowner, Lee Beeman, uh, that was a member of Otter Creek Church at the time. He, he gave us a couple acres of land in Antioch. So just for a temporary reprieve, we moved folks from the Red Cross shelter there so they wouldn't get arrested. The city of Antioch rose up against them being there, even for a temporary basis. These are flood victims, mind you. They're couples, they're pet owners, they're hardworking individuals, people that we had come to love and know. And the city of Antioch, spearheaded by some local ministers, said, the gates of charity are closed, not in our backyard. You're not going to stay here. We're going to get Metro Health on you. We're going to get codes and zoning. We're going to shut you down. And we said, we're ministers too. We're, we're, working with flood victims. And there's a big public meeting one night. It was one of the most stressful nights of my life. If you can picture a huge church packed out, every seat in a pew filled, um, and person after person coming up to the mic to say, not in our backyard, take these people away. You have brought your trash to Antioch. Don't dump your trash on us. Talking about our friends who are sitting beside me in the pews. And then person after person, church member after church member came up to that mic and said, I'm a Christian, but I want these people gone. I'm a Christian, but not in my backyard. I'm a Christian, but I care about my property values over and over. Well, this was a pretty isolated track of land and there's a lot of poverty around. This is only like 28 people. So um, it was really hard to hear. So I think it's easy to point our finger at very public um, situations where people say, I'm a Christian, but the gates of charity are closed which seems like all of us can be enraged about that, right? Like God's gates of, of love and compassion are never closed and the churches shouldn't be either. But it's also easy for us, or maybe it's harder for us to think about how we say that in our own personal lives. I'm a Christian, but I like my comfort. I'm a Christian, but I really want to spend my money my way and not share and not pay these taxes or not do whatever. I'm a Christian, but, um, I would rather drive by this person than roll my window down and say hi at a median and and give them some socks out the window. I don't know. I think you could go on and expand on that. I'm a Christian, but what do we say? You know, it's easy to make excuses, but if we're really, if we are really trying to live out this kingdom in the here and now, then it means living it out in our actions and in our whole lives, not just in our words a couple times a week. Um, so, so yeah, it was a pretty wild experience. So hopefully that's not going on as publicly there, but it's going on all the time. We all need to be thinking about what are, what's our excuse to not live further into that kingdom. Um, so yeah, I, I hear you. It's, uh, it's so frustrating. You know, obviously we all have to work on our, our vertical relationship first. Right. And once we start realizing that we're not in this situation, of am I being good enough today 
to maintain what I've been promised for my future because that's never going to work. You know, I mean, I, as a kid, I had that problem too. I mean, I, I would drive home from the Harpeth Hills Church of Christ Church building and, and think if someone comes over the double yellow line and hits me head on and I die before I get to the house, if I haven't cleared everything out of my mind that, you know, is a bad thought or whatever, or, or if, I did, if I forgot to pray about something and left it off the list, will it, will, will, where will I go? And once you're, I think once we're invited into, okay, wait a second, it's sort of like Jesus is the ark in Noah's days. If you're in the boat, God has you and you're protected from everything outside the boat. And if we're in Christ, we don't have to keep wondering if the boat we're in is going to sink because it's not. And so I wonder if to answer some of your questions and some of your thoughts is if it's like, it's the simple question, what's it like to be the church on Monday? What's it like to be the church on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Because it, it often seems to me, like we talk about church being a thing we do or a place we go, or it's, it has a start and it has an end. And I, I, I'm like you, I've been taught that words are very important and that we need to work on our vocabulary and change our language to be more reflective of our theology. And so I wonder if it's just inviting people to understand that what you describe in your book, which I, I mean, we're not plugging this book. That's not why we did this, but if you haven't read this, you should. Um, what you're describing is what it means to be the church and the people that you break bread with on the street and the people that are listening to why you're the way you are. I mean, you are, you are enfleshing the gospel in Lindsay Crinks in what you're going and doing. And you're an ambassador for Jesus by showing up in the places that the people who see church as a time or a place or a thing that starts and stops or only happens on one day don't go. They just make the assumption that someone goes and they're not even sure necessarily who the someone is unless they have a missionary that they, you know, they sponsor somewhere in another country and they can talk about that missionary. But you're the missionary, you're on the ground in Nashville, you're doing the work. And I think when you started this conversation with me today and said, if Jesus showed up in Nashville, where would he be? I think he'd be the same place as you're already at. That's the whole point of the work. And, you know, it's funny to think I, I stopped thinking about myself as a missionary, right? Like what, what I find on the streets saves me. Um, I find Jesus on the streets. We encounter, we are not Jesus to other people. If we are like, what a grace, what a gift. But what we're told to do is find Jesus in the stranger. After, after Jesus was crucified um, one of the gospel accounts talks about the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus um, afterwards. And the disciples found Christ and the stranger that was walking alongside them. Mm. Um, I, I really believe that we find Jesus in the poor. Um, and that's not, you know, there are a lot of really grim realities. There are a lot of people that have gone through a lot of trauma and survived it um, and are healing but I see God on more on the streets and I see more radical hospitality in our homeless encampments. than I've seen in many of our churches and I've been around to churches in Nashville. I've made the circuits um, speaking, working with groups for the last 14 years. I, I find Jesus on the streets and what would happen if we shifted our understanding um, of who we are when we go out 
um, so that we are looking for God and, and others and looking for Christ and others and not just being so consumed with how we are holy and we are supposed to be that, that perfect example. Um, it's a learning experience. And it's, I can tell you, that is where I have found my salvation, my liberation. Um, and I'm, I'm so deeply thankful. And that's what I write about in the book. Um, there are a lot of fun stories in there. I hope some of your people will read it. We, you know, this is a kind of serious conversation, but we laugh a lot. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of fun things. There's a lot of hard things, but it's really, really beautiful work, um, and really meaningful work. So that was, uh, that was awesome. I was just, as I was listening to you, what I distinctly heard, if I just re, if I just re, uh, cap capture what you said, I hear you saying, you know, come to your church building and equip yourself to go out and find where God's at work and join him there. And that's what you're doing. And if you, if you don't equip yourself, you can't see it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You've got to let the spirit give you eyes and, and ears to see and hear what, where God is working. And then once you identify where he is, there's, there's really no sense in just looking at another church and saying, Hey, they've got this thing and it's going great. We ought to do the same thing. Or we ought to do this because, because somebody else has done it in a book or in a, in a, in a whatever medium they, they find it instead, look around and see exactly what you just said and say, well, God's out here working in this or that area. What if we joined him there and actually expanded the work? So, um, I just thank him for you and for what you share with people and your vulnerability and your transparency and you, having a gracious nature. Cause I know you've been attacked. I know people have, have probably said, uh, as one lady told me once, she said, Stan, when you're, when you're doing kingdom work in the world, you get called everything from A to Z and you just have to get tough skin and you just have to, mm-hmm. you just have to learn to go on and know that if God's happy with you, that's all that matters. So I see all that in you, Lindsay. Thank you. Well, it's, um, I've learned a lot from my friends on the streets and, and from, and from my fellow um, travelers in the Christian community and other communities as well. But I'm really thankful to have been with you today. I hope um, hope folks will look into our ministry, Open Table Nashville, or their own communities. Um, and I'm always a resource to you and to folks at Hendersonville, COC, and beyond. So let us know if we can ever help with anything. It's been really right. nice. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you care if we end in prayer? Let's do it. All right. Father, thank you so much for Lindsay Krinks, exactly how you've made her. Thank you for Andrew Krinks and their new little one. Um, thank you for just shielding them back in the in the tornado earlier. Well, actually now last year. Um, thank you for all the work that you call them into and how they hear your call and respond. Um, thank you for exactly how you've wonderfully made Lindsay Um exactly who she is, how she represents you, um, and all of the places you send her. And she says, yes, Lord, here am I. And she goes, um, she's just an inspiration to all of us. And I just pray a blessing on her that you would continue to have your face shine upon her. Um, and that you would continue to have her hear from you through your spirit that, uh, you are proud of her and that she represents you well and all that she does and all that she says and to all the people that you send her to thank you for this time and anyone out there who has heard something in this 
this time that pricks their heart. Um, may you encourage them and open doors for them to be able to join you where you're working, uh, where maybe they haven't seen those possibilities before. Thank you for the blessing also of Lindsay's book and those who read it. And most of all, thank you for the gift of Jesus and the future that we have because of him to live eternally with you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.